Hunters, this episode of the Flushman Dustin Podcast is brought to you by our sponsors and patrons. Keeping our dogs safe while hunting, training, or traveling from one location to another is important to us. We keep a first aid kit from Gundog Outdoors in our trucks and carry one on our hunt-ready vests in the event our dogs obtain an injury while hunting. We also carry their water bottle to keep our dogs hydrated while in the field. To check out these products and other safety gear, head over to Gundog Outdoors at gundogoutdoors.com and use code RINGNEXT to save 10%. We transport our dogs to the hunting and training fields in our G3 Dakota 283 kennels. These kennels are one solid piece of military grade material with a conveniently located handle on the top of the kennel to make it easier lifting in and out of our trucks. Dakota 283 also provides other specialized gear to ensure our dogs have enough water and food for a full day's hunt and to safely store and secure our gear in our vehicles. Check out Dakota 283 at dakota283.com and use code RNR10 at checkout to save 10%. To receive a larger discount, become a patron at patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. This will also get you included in our exclusive giveaways. Thank you to everyone for helping us continue to bring you Flushem and Dustum episode. Hi, hunters. Thank you for tuning into the Flushem and Dustum podcast brought to you by Nick and Tyler, the boys from Ringnecks and Retrievers. In this podcast, we will talk about guns, dogs, gear, and our successes and failures in the field through our combined 40 years of experience. We speak with hunters just like you from across the nation about their days in the field and the many memories they built with their friends and family. We are excited to have you listen. Now let's get to Flushing and Dustin. Hunters, welcome back to the Flushing and Dustin podcast. Uh, today we got a special guest, Travis Warren, who is also the podcast creator for the Up Chucker podcast. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, be sure to go check him out. Um, he obviously knows a lot of things about chucker hunting, and we know... Nothing. Basically nothing. <laughs> so we're excited to have Travis on today uh, to really give us a deep dive of into chucker hunting um, from a greenhorn perspective. So Travis, you can introduce yourself and we'll take it from there. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me on. Uh, I don't get a lot of invitations. Uh, I mean, I don't know why. I feel like, <laughs> but you know, I, I just think that you know, the, the amount of effort that goes into creating content and, and, and trying to put a show out there like you guys are doing or really anybody else who has a podcast. Um, it's a lot of work, but it's so rewarding because you do have an opportunity to meet people you'd never have met. Absolutely. Um, and really, you know, inspire people that you will likely never meet, you know, and, and you really don't know the reach that you have. So um, for me, I just appreciate being on a show that I have really not a lot of uh knowledge about it i don't know a whole lot about pheasant hunting or even that realm um but it is exciting to be able to spread the message of chucker hunting further out yes. to others yeah, very. Uh, potentially inspire somebody to try it one day yeah so where are you located out of so i live so to be is as easy as it sounds uh, i live just outside of reno nevada when I say just outside, I live just in the, the sister city, which is Sparks, Nevada. Um, that sits on the western edge of Nevada. Uh, really, the separating geographical feature would be the Sierra Nevada Mountains. 
So I'm on the east side of the Sierra Nevada mountains. On the west side would be Sacramento, uh, pushing on into uh, like San Francisco. So, um, you know, there's a, those mountains definitely create a whole different environment, um, which is, you know, a hundred miles difference in, in what you would experience. So yeah, I live right here on the west side of Nevada. And as many know that Nevada sits within the Great Basin, yep. which the Great Basin kind of encompasses uh, portions of Montana, but really more significantly, Oregon, Idaho, Utah, and Nevada kind of pushing down into portions of like Northern Arizona. Uh, but most importantly, it's sort of that geographical area where Oregon, Idaho, Utah, and Nevada touch. Nice. So what, what got you into chucker hunting? I think like, well, for me, I was an adult onset hunter, mostly because I didn't just didn't grow up in a hunting family. I grew up racing dirt bikes, uh, skateboarding heavily. Um, uh, my parents, my dad owned a, a custom boat building business down in North Hollywood. So that's oh, nice. kind of what oh, that family's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, it was completely different. Uh, I remember my dad went on an elk hunt when I was a kid, uh, but that's pretty much the extent of really what I would have termed my hunting exposure. Yeah. Uh, and it really wasn't until uh, I moved to Reno and I met my wife and her dad uh, is a huge hunter. And he was, he was in his youth, a real big chucker hunter and would raise chucker and pheasant uh, at the house. And he had a Springer Spaniel and really for, for him, it really, really wasn't anything worth talking about much outside fishing and hunting. And so having no gosh darn uh, understanding of it, you know, I, I really got into hunting because I wanted my father-in-law to like me enough to let me marry his daughter. And uh, as a bike, yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, it, and it really is. And I've written, I've written story about it, you know, and I, it's humorous in a way, but I, I, I honestly didn't realize at the time the, what it would what it was actually creating for me yeah. uh, and uh, it, it wasn't like my first exposure I fell in love with hunting you know it was definitely something over time and for really the best advice I ever got was from him and he said listen Travis I'm older and I have no interest in hiking to the top of the mountains I have no interest in doing the things that I think you want to do so you need to go find people your own age of your own fitness level uh and, and do it your way and I think had I not been provided that kind of advice I, I might not have really found uh, the kind of hunting that I wanted to hunt that, that's, that I a, wanted. that's a pretty tough conversation to have I feel like you know like you probably enjoyed hunting with him and for him just to hey you know I can see that you know he can see something in you see that drive in you this isn't going to work out for me. So you go ahead and find your own path. Yeah. Maybe you know? it was more beneficial for him, you know, <laughs> like, get, this, get this young guy out here. He's really messing my program up. So yeah, I think, I think it probably was both the same ways. And, and, you know, he and I have had opportunities to, to hunt together and it, and it really fits in a different way. Uh, you know, I, when I was early in my chucker career, career for lack of a better way of putting it um you know he was just in, he enjoyed the stories for him yep. it was not necessarily about um the end result for him he loved he loves and still to this day uh loves hearing the stories about my chucker hunting so he would drive me to the top of mountains drop me off with my dog 
and then it would drive to the bottom and I could see him, you know, out in, out in the valley. And I would just basically hunt down and then he oh, would pick cool. me up and then we would leave, you know? And so, um, that was kind of, I mean, that was definitely fun uh, to be able to do stuff like that. And, uh, he still gets out with his buddies and, and hunts and does mule, you know, hunts mule deer and stuff like that. But he'll even tell me like, Hey, I was just up here and I saw a bunch of mountain quail or, Hey, I was just, you know, there's some chucker crap up here on this mountain that maybe I'd never considered even looking at. So yep. there's a lot of that transference knowledge. Where, what is, I guess, chuckers a native bird to which state or which country? Is, saw, it, is it, what, I don't it's, know. It's a, non, it's a non-native bird. Okay. So it was part of one of their, it was part of one of, um, you know, the federal government's, uh, you know, sort of introduction of, of different game birds um, back in, oh shit, I don't know, 1800s, so just kind of right around there. The first introduction into the United States for chucker was, I believe, 1893. Okay. Oh, wow. And so they're native of the Middle East. So in Morocco, northern portion, you know, Egypt, yep. uh, Pakistan, India, um, right there, in, you know, in the Middle East, the Middle Eastern uh, bird and so uh, they were looking at different game birds to introduce and really when they did that they started introducing them into places like um, you know Iowa the you know the Midwest places where it's just not it's just not similar to the habitat that they came from and really what what happened was that the the Great Basin area of the U.S. really is very similar, uh, excuse me, to their native ranges, native habitat. And believe it or not, just, you know, sort of when you would look at it from a road, the most inhospitable place, you would think nothing would really want to live. But not only do they live in those environments, but they really thrive in those environments. Really? Oh, yeah. So just like your background, you're walking through rock, looks like and <laughs> maybe a little bit of brush <laughs> so that's mis so that's a little misleading because okay. that is uh that's that's actually himalayan snowcock hunting oh. so that's that's eleven thousand feet that's eleven thousand okay. feet in the ruby mountains so that's actually hunting another introduced bird that can only be found in the ruby mountains in nevada outside um the himalayan mountains of you know in that whole region uh yeah of 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 the, of the you know middle east so so how high up in the mountains are you usually hunting to look for chucker uh you know anywhere from 4000 4500 to you know could be up to 8000 just to kind of depends on where you are it kind of depends on the time of year uh so to give you an idea i mean really so where i live you're already starting at 4500 feet that's okay. where the, that's where the city is and where the city lies. So right around that, you know, right around above five thousand feet is where you're going to find them. Snow conditions can change, and that could push birds lower into, you know, the forty five hundred, you know, to to four thousand range for birds. Uh, there, so it is kind of weather dependent, but uh, they'll be all the way on top of the mountains, and then depending on the weather, they could be all the way down on the valley floors. What's the what's what's the limit of chucker and how many so what's the limit and then how many have you gotten in a day i guess Are you limit it out like like yeah so, if, so in, the in a group i guess i guess what i'm saying is in a group how many is it 
likely to get because sometimes we can go out with four guys and you know we can get we can get 12 pheasants and that would be a four-man limit so like sure. what's is, is chucker like that can you go out and or are they in cubbies or mm -hmm. I, I just yeah it's yeah. a cubby bird i guess okay. that's the best so the first thing to establish is it's a cubby bird okay um so when you find them you're generally going to find them in 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 some varying numbers of a, of a cubby size uh, that is also time of year dependent and weather dependent as well. Um, so the, in Nevada and in California, it's a six bird limit. So six birds in a day, 18 birds in possession. Um, in places like uh, Idaho, it's eight birds. Um, so some states have some differing bag limits, but in Nevada specifically, it's six. And so, yeah, I mean, you could potentially, if you're on a, if you're on a good day with good dog work and good shooting. Yeah. I mean, you could limit for sure. Not a problem. I, I don't know what a good shooting partner is like. I don't like Tyler. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. Trust me. I, I'm, I'm not always, uh, I, I'm my own weak link. So don't feel bad. <laughs> so is, is the land that they live in, obviously it's mountain size. Is it pretty treacherous? Like what, if you were someone coming out new, what type of gear would you recommend to carry? Maybe shoes, um, pants, you know, is there a certain apparel that you take out that can withstand the, like the mountainsides or makes it easier on you? Well, I do think, well, I do think one of the things to establish is sort of where you find them and what country that you would tend to find them in. Uh, and that's what makes it so that's what makes it unique as a hunt. Um, and that's what makes it really an adventure as a hunt as well as that where you're gonna find them is generally in the, in the lesser populated areas or really remote areas of the state. Nevada is 87% public land. So- Oh, wow. A, a massive portion, yeah, a massive portion of the state um, is, is public access. And because public access, it, there's not as many people as there would be in, in some larger populated states. And so chucker tend to thrive in those really remote, arid country, um, very steep uh, country, because they have a general, their, their escape pattern is to, is to find themselves in a position where they have elevation and they can fly away. So if, if there is a predator or if there's danger coming from above, they, they, they easily pop. They have the elevation already once they just pop off the ground and they can fly and they'll disappear. Um, the same thing stands for if there's danger coming up, they can run uphill at a screaming pace that you'll never be able to keep up with to a point where they can then take off and fly. So that's why they call them the devil bird or they call them, you know, or they're, they're tend, they tend to be referred to as a very frustrating bird because uh, they're tougher than shit. And uh, they, they, they will, they will drive you into the ground because you're, you're already in elevation. So if you're not yep. used to the thinner air, um, your, your cardiovascular output is, is really, I think what makes or breaks a good chucker hunter. What, so, uh, what, what, what dogs are you using to hunt these? I've seen all kinds of dogs out there. What I specifically have is German short hair pointer and a wire hair okay. pointer. Okay. Um, I mean, people hunt them with everything from border collies to oh. huskies. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've got a guy, I've got a, a person here locally that runs in the circle that has that hunts with a husky. Um, and that, well, I guess it's cool when you're getting up in the mountains. I was gonna say out there in that temperature, that dog's gonna fall over dead. But I guess it's cool. Yeah, you, you know, and I, <laughs> I, I think that you know you use the resources available to you. You know, yeah. and if you, yep. um, but I mean, those those are sort of anomalies. I think what you tend to see more frequently is your German shorthair pointers. You see your Britneys. You yep. see uh, pointers, um, you know, you see setters. I mean, uh, all the normal dogs that you would see uh, in any other bird field or, or any other upland hunt, you're generally going to find. Yeah. Um, okay. But you really just want a dog that has some good stamp, that has stamina, that can have some pretty tough feet and is pretty robust um, because it's, it's tough on the dogs. Absolutely tough on the dogs. Um, and so you just want dogs that are, that are going to be pretty hardy and pretty and have a lot of endurance to be able to keep yeah. up so back to the the your cardiovascular do you mm -hmm. do you do any training pre-season to get you back in chucker chasing shape i should say <laughs> um yeah you know like chucker i mean it's true. chasing what i it's thought true. you almost, thought you almost said chubby chasing i don't know <laughs> But, uh, you know, and like, especially coming from Iowa, we're not at, I don't even know what our elevation is, but if someone from the Midwest, what, what would you recommend or what's your uh, strategy to get into shape for the season? Yeah, I always think it's never a good idea to use the beginning of the season to get into shape. Yeah. Um, I think for most chucker hunters that are serious, I mean, there's people who've chucker hunted and there's chucker hunters. And there's, I think there's a disparity between the two. Um, it mostly because it's a lifestyle for chucker hunters. Yeah. Um, you tend to think about it all year long. Your everything is a, is a buildup to the beginning of the season. And so with that comes your, your physical preparation. Um, so for me, it's, I, I tend not to miss a beat at all, you know? And so, you know, both for work and, and just lifestyle in general and just, uh, you know, trying to fight the dad bot anyways, uh, you know, you, I'm always in the gym, I'm always doing something. And so, you know, focusing on nutrition, focusing on some sort of a, a, a you know, structure way of eating, as well as having a fitness plan, no matter what it is, um, is really important because it is painful. And because I've done it before, where I didn't do as much as I should have, you know, in past, in the yeah. past seasons where, you start trying to get in shape as you're trying to hunt and yeah, for the first month, it's kind of painful, you know, and then as you get into the edge, you know, the end of the season, you're, you know, you're flying up the mountains faster than you thought you probably could. So one of the things that I think in for chucker hunting that is important in terms of, of success, like I said, is your, your, your cardiovascular output and your physical fitness level. Um, and I think that you really need to focus on uh, really improving your cardiovascular output, but also focusing on core strength. Yeah. One, of the, one of the interesting things about chucker hunting is that you're never, you never have a flat footing for your shots. You're always, um, you know, one foot on a rock, the other foot's lower. You're always turning in weird angles because of just the terrain and the country that they live in. Um, you know, you start adding in, you know, some, you know, rocky cliffs and you know at times can be some pretty steep you know drop-offs i mean you really have to be in control of your body uh, to be safe 
and to avoid those you know, overuse injuries like twisting a knee or um, you know, falling and jacking yourself up. Falling happens uh, it happens to everybody. And it's just how well you can sort of survive out of those falls, uh, you know, so. <laughs> Sounds intense. <laughs> Have you ever injured yourself? Oh, yeah. I mean, I nothing to the point where it kept me out. Um, but yeah, I mean, a couple times this year, I've hyperextended a knee because I stepped on a rock and it just it, or stepped in a hole um, and it just hyperextends the knee. Uh, to the point where you feel it and you have to stop for a second and sort of rub yeah. it out. Um, yeah. But nothing to the point where, you know, I've had to cart myself off a mountain. And, you know, that kind of goes into the gear that you're talking about. I mean, you, one of the biggest investments that you should make in chucker hunting is buying a really good pair of mountain boots. Um, you know, the, like the red wing mock toes is not going to, it's not going to suffice in chucker country. You need something with a good sole. You need something with, you know, with, with a good last on it. Um, something that you can really dig into side hills and something yep. with some really good ankle support because that that is stuff that will really save your bacon um, because you know your... you're like you're likely to step in correctly at some point and so yeah. the risk of you know rolling an ankle or hyperextending a knee or, or something like that is is definitely uh, a, it, it is a real concern and something that you should be focused on how about your dogs your dogs ever get hurt running through this mountainous yeah, territory yeah, they can they can yeah. i mean so my dog my wire hair um i hunted her so the last week of the season we hunted um i hunted her three days of the four days that i hunted um yep. and by the end of it she was she was uh, i think just an overuse injury in her in her right uh ankle um yep. where it swelled up by the time we got back to the truck she was fine out there running uh, by the time we she laid down and had some food at the truck and I and I put her in her kennel, she was already limping. So I think it was just but I mean a week later and she's fine. She's back to her normal self. Yep. So you get that, but that's part of that's part of the conditioning for chucker hunting, not only for yourself but for your dog. You you know, that's where injuries can can occur is that if you have your if you have a, a dog and you don't do anything, you don't run it, you don't road it, you don't toughen the pads on its feet um throughout the the off season or just you know the time in between chucker seasons you're going to find that your dog is going to suffer and you know that's should be a huge priority for you in terms of oh, yeah. you know, keeping your partner healthy so it, we never miss a beat on that either you know it's you know the dogs are continually run um my dogs are continually run on you know rocks um you know and, and within sagebrush i mean just just keeping them luckily we just moved to a spot where right behind us is a, a, a nice mile stretch of you know just dirt and rocks and sagebrush yep. and 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 actually a healthy cubby of about 70 uh, valley quail that just sit back there and they can't get hunted because it's right in a residential it just they're just there and they fly into the back of people's yards when they get flushed out and so nice. we've got a, a healthy supply of, of wild birds to train on um so yeah, it's just, it's a constant thing. Like I said, it's a lifestyle. So I never stopped thinking about it. I never stopped preparing for it. Um, and, uh, you know, not to be overly dramatic, I guess that's like the biggest thing that I have with the podcast is that I want to encourage people to try it because I think it's really fulfilling. Uh, I think yeah. it's <laughs> something that is, 
that you, I mean, you really sort of, uh, you get to sort of see where you're at and you get, and you have really have a, I think a, a gauge on how to improve. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's such a fun and rewarding experience that I think sometimes we get too focused on explaining how hard it is and forgetting that it, everybody starts somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and sort of with the interest of wanting to keep people safe while they're out there, you sort of overly state the facts, which is yeah. like overly state how dangerous it could be or how tough it is rather than saying, you know, you know, make sure that you have the things that you need and make sure that you are prepared and make sure mentally you're prepared uh, because you will be in places where there's not a lot of people. Uh, so yep. if you do get in a, in a pickle, um, you will, you know, you will have to be self-sufficient in terms of, you know, self-extrication and, and ways to communicate outside of it. And we can kind of get into my story from last year. You know, and what I learned from that. Travis, I think that goes without saying, I don't care what you're hunting, uh, what country you're hunting you should always be prepared for some sort of accident, whether it's mm -hmm. a, a medical kit with your dogs or, uh, you know, some supplies for yourself, you know? So I don't think that's a bad thing at all by, by stating that. I don't think it's trying to scare people. I think they need to realize like, Hey, these guys are making sure that we are prepared for this. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, Tyler and I being new to this uh, and, and the podcast trying to help people. That's what it's all about. Um, just trying yeah. to figure out what we need, uh, to be successful in the field and to keep ourselves safe and our dogs safe. So, yeah, no, I think that's great. Yeah. You know, to kind of emphasize the point a little bit on, prepare, on preparation. I mean, I've been hunting, I've been hunting Chucker for 13, now going on 14 years. And so um, I've had instances where, you know, I wore inadequate clothing and, uh, a, you know, blizzard rolled in and we got disoriented and soaked and started getting mildly hypothermic to the point where, started getting scary and then so that really caused some change in my in the gear that I would wear and the clothes that I would wear out there and I'll kind of go into that a little bit more um but last year I mean last year I you know you you know I'm already you know heavily into the podcast and creating content and so you would think that I was a little smarter um but I mean I'm foreseeing things that you just don't know and it was the uh, the last weekend or the weekend before the last of the season no it was the last weekend of the season right anyway I am. Um, I went out. I told my wife that you know I was going to go out and stay the night, and um, Grandma had come pick up the girl. So I, you know, I was like, oh, maybe I won't stay the night. Maybe I'll just come home. Uh, and I guess I confused her with my with my plan. So she thought I was going to stay out there, and my plan was to come back. And I shot out, you know, around noon to get an afternoon hunt in. Um, and when I got out to the spot, which was about an hour away from the house. Um, parked the truck, went out, got a few birds, uh, came back to the truck and it was starting to get dark and my truck wouldn't start. And so I thought, shit. Uh, so I sat there for a while trying to figure out what it was. Uh, ultimately it was a fuel pump. And I mean, I, there's nothing I can do at that point with a fuel pump gone out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so I, in my, in my, haste decision to, to just go out for the day I hadn't brought what I normally bring in terms of you know sort of a readiness or even just you know layers I brought I brought a, a wool shirt that I a wool t-shirt that I wore um, a, a grid fleece hoodie that I, I wear all the time and I love and a rain shell and that's all I brought 
Uh, I didn't bring my normal puffy jacket, which I normally keep in the truck. I didn't because it was warm. It was sort of like we experienced this year. It was it was actually pretty warm. It was t-shirt weather. Yeah. Um, but the weather in the desert drops real. It can change, but the temperatures can also drop really rapidly. And so you get a lot of these swings in, in temperature. Uh, so anyways, I ended up having to sleep in the back of my truck with inadequate layers. Thankfully, I had a, a tarp in the back and I had a I had an emergency blanket that I always keep in my pack just for safety. And I got in the back of the truck with the dogs and covered us and wrapped us up like a burrito in, uh, in, in the emergency blanket and the tarp and just roughed it. And it was cold. I mean, it was <laughs> cold. Thank God you had uh, the dogs to keep you a little warm. Well, and that was the thing is that, you know, instead of panicking, you know, instead of panicking, which people tend to do in, in situations uh, that they're not comfortable with and they haven't really thought about, uh, you know, a panic could have set in. I could have done something irrational, like decided to, you know, walk out, the, you know, a couple miles to the road and hopefully somebody, and this is the dirt road in the middle of nowhere, hopefully somebody would come by. That's, that's the stuff where you start thinking irrationally and you start putting yourself in dangerous situations. The safest thing in those environments is to stay with your vehicle. Because if a search and rescue vehicle is out looking for you or a helicopter is out, they're going to find your truck way before they find you. So you stay with your vehicle. And so I, I knew that, you know, it was going to be a rough night and probably a lack of sleep was going to occur, but I wasn't going to die. Uh, as long as I stay with my vehicle, as long as I use the dogs for warmth and wrap myself up and I had water. I had a couple, I had a little bit of food, you know, so I, I knew I could rough it out until the, until the morning. Yeah. And that's what we did. So do you, so, do you have cell phone service that far out or what would yeah. you use to bring for commute? Like, let's say you had to communicate with someone if you twisted an ankle and you needed help um, mm -hmm. or something drastic happening, you know, what would you take for a communication device? Well, that was a one big upgrade I made this year. So I always carried the Alpha 100, and uh, after that incident specifically, because there's spotty cell phone service, but some most places you're not going to have great cell phone or any cell phone service at all. So one of the things that uh, I did this year was upgrade to the Alpha 200i to have the in-reach feature, and so that's actually really nice. So I've always got I've always got the ability to communicate with my wife uh, and let her know where I'm at. And that kind of, and, and that's sort of like after the fact, what I do is I make sure I leave a hunt plan with my wife. So I tell her, because I know she's not going to tell where my spots are anyways, but I leave, I leave, a, I leave it for her uh, it's exactly where I'm going to go, the mountain range I'm going to go to, the, the canyon I'm going to go to, or canyons I'm going to go to, and then roughly what time I'm going to be back. And if, you know, if I say I'll be back by three, but it's still pushing three, by that time, I should have reception, so I should be calling her, saying I'm on my road. I'm on the road. I, you know, I'll be 30 minutes late. Yep. But having a hunt plan, I don't. I, I think regardless of if, of where you are in the world and where you are in the country, if you're going out uh, somewhere to hunt or to hike or or to explore, I think you should leave a plan with people when you leave, so they know right, when yeah. to expect you back and they know where you're going roughly, so they know at least a place to start from. Um, so I, I do that's that's a big big factor of what I do and then having the the, the Garmin inReach now you know I'm able to communicate with my wife uh, especially if you know maybe there's an emergency at the house that I need to know about and I need to get back 
So we, we have now this ability to communicate and that's probably one of the biggest, that is the biggest reason I, I upgraded to the 200i um, to have that communicator feature, uh, which is, uh, I think just for me, it's just a smart tool to have. Yeah. Uh, is that able nice. to drop your location to her? Yeah, I think you have to pay, you have to pay extra to be able to drop your location. There's like different rates and plans that you yeah. can have. Um, excuse me. I just chose the plan that allows me to communicate. I think it's up to like 12 messages per month or something like that. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, so you could, I mean, you could easily, I mean, it, and that provides you free, like free form text messages, like 12 free form text messages, all the preset ones, like I'm back at camp, you know, okay. things that you've already established as, as sort of a preformed one. Um, those are free, they, you know, unlimited number of those, but if the, for the free form ones, um, I think it's 12. So, but it's, it's perfect. It's, it's for, it's exactly what I need. I don't use it. Um, it's not like we're texting back and forth and we're hunting, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's, it's there for an emergency. So it's, it's, that's, that's the big upgraded piece of gear that I bought this year, um, to sort of improve just sort of safety and communication while you're out there. Yeah. Hmm. That makes sense. So what, uh, what gun do you carry? Is it a pretty light one or do you carry? Uh, nice heavy? Yeah. So this year I, this year I went to a, a Franke SLX, uh, two tuber 20 gauge. Nice. Um, and that, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a five and a half pound gun. So it's super light comparative to big 12 gauges. Yeah. Um, and it's, a lot of my buddies shoot two tuber 12 gauge two tuber uh 20 gauges and they're yeah. except i mean but these are guys and gals that are exceptional shots you know and you sort of try to achieve or, or fit into this echelon of hunter but yeah that's what i went to this year it's been a bit of a learning curve you know there's days when i've been on fire and there's days when i've just not been on fire <laughs> um and you know, one of the things I did not do this year is when I got the gun, I didn't go out and pattern it. I didn't go out and sort of see which shells. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that um, there is it's been sort of a feast or famine in terms of what you can find for shells. So trying to find a shell that works well with certain chokes based on time of year. Um, you know, when I found a shell that the gun really liked, of course, I only had one box and that really wasn't going to serve me for an entire season. So you know, sort of messing around a lot. I'm looking forward to doing some more work with it um, over the summertime in terms of patterning to understand densities and, and really what it likes. Um, but yeah, the Franke SLX 20 gauge, it's so nice because it doesn't weigh anything and you can just, yeah. it, 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 it is really nice. But I also have a, um, I have a, also have a Beretta 1200 uh, Explore in the left hand uh, 12 gauge. That's a really nice gun um i also carry i also have a, a 12 gauge Franke. um it's like their l it was some sort of it was a gun that they made specifically for dick sporting goods and so it's sort <laughs> of didn't come with a box didn't come yeah. with carrying kit didn't come with chokes i mean it was just like a bare bones gun and i, and I actually found it uh, on a used rack last year for 600 bucks and i mean it was nice. it was brand new somebody bought it and they just took it back and i couldn't <laughs> pass it up and that's a really nice gun as well but i still have my remington 870 pump that i use uh i use it for snowcock hunting it's my snowcock gun um 
uh, that Remington 870 is what I've had from the very beginning. And I mean, it, I think everybody should have a Remington 870 in their, in their quiver. <laughs> they are the we good just, old school. We just bought the uh, Sweet 16 uh, A5s. Yeah. That's, that's a, a very light gun as well. Super nice. Um, yeah, we like that a lot. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great gun. When uh, I looked at that. When is chucker season out in your range? What's it run from when to uh, when? Second, second weekend of October to the first weekend of February. So it's a long season. Yeah, it is. So do you usually find them more in the basin in January, February timeframe, or does it just go by the weather? I just really, I mean, there has to be some serious weather to push them out. They'll, okay. they'll dig down. Uh, they, they'll scratch down to try and find feed and grasses and things like that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it really requires a very heavy and prolonged uh, snowpack uh, to kind of really push them down. And, and really that's, we haven't seen that in the last couple of years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's some areas of the state and then other states where the, the snowfall has been significant to push them down. But um, what we tend to see is we have a heavy week of winter and then it, it will dry and they will start getting spot and spotty. So, um, so you start seeing them moving or moving on to like those south facing slopes um, that tend to be burned off a little bit more from the snow. So, so I know before we got started with the podcast, <clears throat> you mentioned that you had a couple good pheasant hunting stories. I don't know if I want to say good. No, they're not really good. They're just <laughs> they're just what I have. Yeah. So. so tell us about those. I know you said you you wanted to talk about those quick. Uh, yeah. Well, the first one was uh, about three years ago with a couple buddies um, locally and. Uh, Matt Rawlinson with Owen Valley Wing Shooting, uh, Rob Jones, who's pretty prolific if you follow, uh, if you're on social media, my buddy Matt Harding and myself, and we went up to an area in Northern California to, to hunt uh, for pheasant. And I'd never been before, so I thought it was a great opportunity to take my, at the time, nine-year-old daughter, because I figured we'd just walk around in the flats, you know, and <laughs> yep. on some wildlife management area. And so we, we pile up and we drive in and I guess uh, that year they wouldn't allow day permits. They'd only allow year permits for access onto the, the, the wildlife management area. So uh, we're kind of all standing around in the parking lot going, well, ain't that the shits. So what do we do? <laughs> and uh, we ended up driving a couple miles to the mountain range, to this mountain range that we could see behind us. And we decided to turn it into a chucker hunt. So essentially it's a failed it's a failed pheasant hunt and it turned into a chucker hunt, which actually turned out to be an exceptionally fun day. Um, and, uh, and so that was my first foray into a pheasant hunt. I'd never seen one at that point. Didn't know. Uh, I just assumed that it was, you know, it was going to be harder than I thought. I thought it was just going to be walking around and one pops up, you shoot it and you know, you're like, oh, great. I'm <laughs> pheasant hunt. Um, and then the second one I was up last year, uh, I was up in Washington. My brother lives up there and a buddy, Jeff Lusk, uh, took us out to Eastern Washington, uh, to the sloughs and, uh, on a pheasant hunt. And it was colder than sin out there. And we walked, I mean, to be honest with you, it, I, I was sore. I mean, it, we weren't walking up mountains. 
like I do for chucker hunting, but you walk a lot on the flat and in the rollers and uh, we, we saw birds, you know, we saw birds, some got up, you know, where you sort of could take an opportunity, you know, it might work out for you, but I, you know, it was hard for me because you can only shoot, um, you can only shoot what they call them cock pheasants, right? Males. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I couldn't tell the difference between, uh, it was hard to tell the difference between, you know, what a, what a rooster was and what a, what a hen was. And so yeah. just trying to kind of gain, you know, th that initial like identification of the bird was difficult. And that was my first exposure too with porcupines. The, I, oh. I didn't bring my dogs up, but he, his dogs did. He brought his dogs up. He had a, a setter and the a cocker spaniel and boy, man, that cocker spaniel discovered porcupines. And we, I think she ended up getting hit by three porcupines that day. Oh. and uh, that was my first foray into pulling quills out of a dog's mouth and oh man it was it was a trip I had a great time it was a hell of a lot of fun uh, a lot of firsts for sure but uh yeah <laughs> after the first one he's like well you know she's either gonna love him or she's gonna hate him or she's gonna <laughs> go after him every time and and uh, sure she, she ended up hating him and she just went after him every time and oh man it was uh wow that was a new experience. Was, that that was, new... was it hard to get the dog to calm down enough to be able to pull out those quills? No, surprisingly enough, his dog was really mellow and just sat there and let you pull him out. I mean, I've got, I've got pictures of it where it was just this mat. You know, it just, yeah, we don't, we get porcupines here, but you don't run into them very frequently. Yeah. Um, it's not a concern mountain lions are a bigger concern coyotes are a bigger concern not really porcupines so yeah that was a that was a learning experience for me oh, no kidding uh, but yeah never got one shot at Jeez. some um good time but uh well, yeah that that decide you want to come to iowa we will <laughs> yeah. take you hunting you don't <laughs> there's, want no it to be there's no porcupines <laughs> so you won't have to worry about that mountain you... lions there may be a few in iowa but you won't run into them uh, out no. in the field. <laughs> the worst thing you probably have is, you know, you could fall on a divot in the in the grass, maybe, and <laughs> twist an ankle. <laughs> yeah, you might want to come early season if you don't want it to be colder than sin. Yeah, yeah. Man. Well, right now I've we're seen some of the temperatures. Negative eight without wind chill, and I think it's like twenty something below with wind chill. So, so I don't, yeah, man. Wow. Well, you know, it's like it's like bears coming out of their dens once this weather <laughs> yeah. breaks it's like oh, oh man it's crazy I can't, man that is just that is just an insane That's amount brutal. Of That's i saw right roseman now. was like minus 14 or minus 23 the other day and uh, whew, man you i don't know how you, people do it you can't pack enough clothes though when you're traveling right now just even yeah. traveling from so i travel for work so i'm always packing like all my hunting gear uh you know coveralls gloves boots got a whole whole car filled with everything it's just so cold you would die I, quickly you would die quickly <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe quickly is better than slowly yeah, yeah, yeah no, definitely in definitely. that situation so no but yeah i mean we, you mentioned and i didn't really get a chance to, to touch on it but you talked a little bit about gear um and i sort of talked about boots and whatnot uh, and sort of my experience with getting mildly hypothermic and turned around. So at the time when I did that, I was wearing jeans and I was wearing a, 
just a, a wind like a shell that I'd watched yep. a million times with the DWR was kind of gone off of it. So, you know, once once denim gets wet, it's uh it's 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 no bueno. It takes forever for denim to dry. Yep. So I started moving into synthetic stuff and um you know, wear more wool or a synthetic base top. Um, always carry a rain shell with me. At the time, I didn't carry a rain shell, so I'll always have a rain shell with me. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, any sort of hunting pants that you can find nowadays um, are really great. Uh, I tend to laugh a lot and say that, uh, and say that I'm a Costco hunter. Uh, and what I mean by a Costco hunter is that Costco, at least here, uh, you can find some really good hiking based stuff like, uh, you, you know, uh, sort of synthetic pants, polyester pants that that dry super fast and they're stretchy yep. and you can hike around. You can find pretty cheap shells, uh, you know, down jackets, things like that. So, yeah, as you know, get buying gear is it can be incredibly expensive and yes. not, not especially if you're starting off, um, it can be cost prohibitive at time. And so especially when you're trying to establish a base of gear that you need, um, there's ways to sort of, I mean, really just sort of cut corners uh, that are not detrimental to, to your experience. You know, it, you know, one of the things that I found early on was uh, Wrangler has a pair of these uh, outdoor pants that you can find at Walmart for 20 bucks and they'll last you two seasons, you know, and for 20 bucks. Oh, that's not bad. No, no. And, and they're great pants. They're great pants. They're kind of, I don't think they have the, the greatest uh, quality control in terms of like sizing and cut all the time. Cause I've bought the same sizes twice and they fit vastly different. Um, but again, for 20 bucks, you know, you can't go wrong. And that's no, where you want to invest. And that's where you want to start, you know, if you when, with the money you want to invest in yeah. a really good pair of boots um, and then buying some sort of a pack. Uh, everybody's sort of different. And if, you know, y'all, if all you have is a backpack, you can certainly do that. But having some sort of a pack, a uh, place to put water and gear and birds if you get them, um, that's, that's a really important thing to have. And I think really does improve uh, your experience out there just because everything. And, and it's a lower profile strap. So when you go to mount the gun, you know, you don't have a, a thicker pad on your strap that can kind of mess yep. up your mouth. Yep. Uh, but yeah. With, what but yeah, you definitely want to think about carry? not wearing cotton. Oh yeah. What pack do you carry? I use the final rise. Okay. We go. Yeah. I use the, my buddy, Matt Davis owns the company out in Utah. Nice. A lot of, a lot of my, well, a lot of the well-respected chucker hunters put that thing through its paces last year. So the R and D on it's real solid. Uh, great, great small business. And I mean, it's just hands down the best chucker vest I've found. And nice. that's great. Know, I know that yeah, it's it's a great vest and well worth the investment because you'll never have to buy another one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, well, Travis, I think uh, we'll let you get going. I know we got a busy day ahead, but we appreciate you. Yeah, stepping on from talking about chucker hunting. We learned a lot. Yeah, it's like fun. I said, it's great. Never, never done it. And it sounds like something that would kind of be a good adventure, you know. And um, obviously, the landscape you see is probably just phenomenal up in the yeah. mountains very cool yeah anytime you guys come out if you're traveling and and you happen to pass through during checker season more than welcome to come by got extra shotguns and extra packs always keep nice. some extra stuff for friends Absolutely. coming through so 
Yeah. Awesome. yeah we'll keep in touch. So yes, we will. Uh, again, thank you. And uh, yep, thank you very much, sir. Appreciate it. Thank Have you a guys. Good one. Have a great Have Sunday. Day.